It's great. And we're going to do today, I want you to be open for the Spirit of God to change your life. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking with you about shame and recognizing shame and how shame enters, what it is, what it speaks to you. And uh, we're going to, today, I want to just start the keys on how to get out of it. And uh, we're going to just summarize what we shared last week. And uh, then we're going to go and open up some keys for you. Keys, uh, not just something you know about. Keys are something, unless you stick it in a door and turn it, it doesn't happen. And the dilemma in, in, in the Christian church on the whole is people continually think, if I know it, that means I know it. But biblically, the only way you know something is if it's operating in your life. When you've actually experienced what you know about. You understand the difference uh, between, suppose we talk about flying a plane. Uh, there may be this man over here and, and uh, he's read all the book on flying. He knows how to fly a plane. And then there's someone else who's gone through training school and has actually flown a plane. Now, we wonder which one you would commit yourself to. Which one would you commit yourself to? Well, you see, in the Western culture, we commit ourselves to the one who's read the book. And we become book readers and not flyers. But if you really want to fly, you've actually got to get the handles of the thing and do it. And so if you wanted to learn how to fly, you really want someone who's had experience with it. Amen? And you actually have to gain experience yourself. Most of what we did yesterday was giving people a chance to have experience with God. Because once you've got that experience, it's never taken away. Let's go back into the Bible, Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. And we were there on that scripture. We started the year off with growth, growing, enlarging, enlarging. And, uh, and I want to pick up the verse 4. Do not fear. You'll not be ashamed, neither be disgraced. You will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth. You'll not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. And so God's telling us not to be afraid, not to have a heart that's gripped with fear. And about five times different ways, he talks about this issue of shame. He said, you'll not be put to shame. In fact, you will forget the shame of your youth. And when he's talking about the shame of youth, he's talking about things when we look back into our life, we're incredibly embarrassed about one, what we did, and two, what happened to us. And remember some things in your past you're very ashamed of. The shame of your youth, goofy stuff, you wish you'd never done it, and it was incredibly embarrassing. And uh, of course, there's shame associated with many experiences we have in our younger days. And, and he says this, what the Lord says, he said, you won't remember the shame of your youth. It will actually go out of your mind, It'll go out. you won't be aware of it, it won't come back to you, you'll actually be free of it. This is a promise to be free of shame. He makes, us, he makes a promise to us to be totally free of shame and then the fear of being exposed that goes with it. If you have a fear constantly gripping your life that somehow you'll be exposed, uncovered, people will find out what you really like, you have got a great deal of shame in your life. Shame and fear go hand in hand. With shame comes the fear, I will be exposed. Someone will find out. And if you're trying to control your world, trying to prevent yourself being discovered, then you have some major issues with shame. And we saw that shame is an identity thief. It steals away who we are. What it does is it causes us to put a mask on and hide who we are. Adam and Eve hid themselves. They covered themselves with fig leaf. They pretend. They put it on a mask. So you never see the real person. Never per the real person can never come out. And if the real you can never come forth into life, your identity, who you are, has been stolen from you. You are acting apart, but not authentic. 
And that's going to affect every relationship. So that brings the second thing we saw with uh, shame. Shame is an intimacy thief. Because if you've got a mask on so no one can see you and you're afraid of exposure, you can't get near anyone either. You can't actually get near anyone. You can be in a, around a table with them. You can talk with them. You can share with them. You go on holiday with them. But they never know you. And they never can know you. And you can never be known while you've got that mask on and while you can't be genuine. We saw a whole number of ways that shame entered, and we said one of the areas that we talked about was how some people are ashamed of the feelings they have. Many people are ashamed of their feelings. Men are often ashamed of their feelings. So to feel sad, to feel hurt, to feel uncertain, to feel anxious. Men don't want to let anyone know what they really feel, because men usually are raised in a shame culture where for any man to admit weakness they will be immediately mocked and belittled. So men have a fear of being exposed, a fear of being vulnerable. For a man to cry, mostly, and growing up, uh, as you're a young man growing up, if you cry, it's perceived as a sign of weakness and you are mocked and ridiculed as a crybaby. So what message do people learn? Don't let your feelings get out. And then they become ashamed of their feelings. Right now in the season in the church, many of you will be beginning to experience feelings surfacing don't be ashamed to have feelings. God's not ashamed of your feelings. He gave them to you. He doesn't mind you having feelings. He doesn't mind you crying, laughing, weeping. He doesn't mind you being angry, upset. He's quite happy about all your feelings. And uh, what He wants to do is to actually engage you in what you're feeling and to help you walk through it. But if we bury our feelings, hide our feelings, cover our feelings, then we can't actually, we're, we've got a shame thing around our life. Many men have struggled. I've struggled in that area for years took it some time to break through that, to be absolutely unashamed, to weep and to laugh and to be open about feelings. See, because I grew up being ashamed of what was going on in my life and tried to conceal myself. And so shame is a terrible thing. It, it steals away your life. And Jesus promised we can be free. So let's go back into the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the steps out of it. And I guess you can find many books about it. I just shared, I've, I shared with you four steps that I think actually bring us out of shame. Number one, we need to come to Christ. Two of them I'm going to develop today. Number one, we actually need to come into connection with Christ. You must attach to someone who carried the shame, and I'll explain that in a moment. Number two, we need to resolve or to break the attachments we have in our life to shameful experiences or people who've shamed us. I'll explain that in a moment too. We need to break the attachments if you are attached in your life, and I'll show you how that happens in a moment, if you are attached to shame from your past or people have shamed you, you're still attached to it, those attachments have to be broken. Third thing, and this is now, so we're going to deal with two today. We're going to deal today with how I actually break out of shame, and then we're going to look next, next time around at the changes I need to make in the how, firstly, change my inner beliefs, what I see God like, how do I see God, and how do I see myself. You have to change how you see yourself. If you don't change what you see yourself being like and agree with God, you can't come forth and be the new creation man he called you to be. And finally, we need to change how we relate. By that I mean how we relate to ourselves with our weaknesses, struggles, pains and feelings and so on, how we relate to others when they try to shame us and how we relate to others in not shaming them. And so you need to learn how to recognize and to deal with those things. And, uh, and that's, that's the journey out of shame. Get rid of, attached to the Lord, the shame bearer, 
break with the past, with the shame, begin to renew how I believe and think and see myself, and begin to change how I live my life. Getting the idea? Yeah, great stuff. Okay then, well let's go in and have a look at the first one there. I want you to look at me in Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. So the first step out of faith is we out of, out of shame is to embrace Christ, the shame bearer. We need to embrace Jesus Christ as our shame bearer. I'll show you what that means in a moment. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 50. It says, uh, verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be ashamed. We have to see here that Jesus personally experienced shame. He said, I did not hide from shame. He could have actually vanished. There are many instances where Jesus just moved right away from people. He, he fled to the, to the uh, uh, wilderness. He walked through the crowd. He did not have to endure this being shamed. But the Bible tells us very clearly he did not hide his face from it. He didn't hide his face from the shame and spitting. It's talking here about his walk to the cross. And as he walked to the cross, people yelled at him and abused at him, spat on him, and then they pulled out his beard. Now, I don't know if he ever had a beard. The woman wouldn't know what I'm talking about here. And, uh, but the men would know if he had some whiskers and someone's pulled them and tugged them out. That hurts. So you ask Clive, eh? <laughs> it hurts. And, and so as, and, but the thing is, they, they spat on him. They treated him with contempt, and he said he didn't try and hide or conceal himself from any of it. He set his face like a flint. I am doing this because I know people in the 21st century in Hastings, New Zealand, who need to be free of shame, and I will take the shame so they can be free. Okay? So he didn't hide from the shame. He determined not to hide himself. He did not draw back from the shame of dying on the cross like a criminal. Understands, we'll look at the cross in a moment. The cross was a criminal's death. It was like a public hanging. It was a criminal's death. It was actually not about just execution. If they wanted to kill them, they could kill them quite easily. They could just stick a sword through them. But they didn't want to kill people that way. What they wanted to do was to have them die slowly and painfully and be exposed to public ridicule. You probably would have seen some things in the, uh, in the French Revolution, and they used to have the guillotine, and they'd bring people out, and then the whole crowd would watch, and they would revel in someone losing their life and being publicly humiliated, who was aristocracy. And in this situation with Jesus dying on the cross, the crowd gathered around to publicly ridicule and mock and shame him. They treated him shamefully. He took our shame. He carried our shame, and he refused to allow himself to be shamed, but he took our shame on himself. Amazing thing that scripture is. He, sh- he took the shame on himself. In Hebrews 6, verse 6, it tells us Christ was put to an open shame. He was exposed to public humiliation. I don't know who ever thought about it, because all the pictures you see of Jesus on the cross, they have his his uh, private parts covered, but that's not actually what happened when they were hung on the cross. 
That's to preserve modesty for us who are very sensitive. Actually, he hung naked on the cross. He hung naked and totally exposed to be ridiculed. When you are in a place where you feel powerless, even more you feel the ridicule and the taunt. When you're a place where you are exposed, even more you feel the ridicule and the taunts. And he was exposed to die like a criminal on the cross, a slow, painful death drawn out over hours. I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 27. I think Lynn might have read it this morning. Matthew chapter 27, the death of Jesus on the cross. Just look what it says about him. I can find it. 27. There it is. Let's read it there in verse 27. It says, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. These are hard, rugged, hardened soldiers. And they stripped him naked and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they twisted a crown of thorns, they put it in his head and a reed in his right hand. They mocked, they bowed the knee before him and mocked him. Or they taunted him and said, Hail the king of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they'd mocked him, then they took his robe off him again and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Verse 33, when they came to the place called Golgotha, which is to say the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with drink, uh, gall to drink. But when he had tasted, he would not drink. Then they crucified him, dividing his garments and casting lots that it may be fulfilled what was broken by the prophet. They divided my clothing among them. My clothing they cast lots. <clears throat> Sitting down, they kept watch over him and they put us up on his head an, an accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And even the robbers who were crucified him, one on the left and one on the right, they taunted him. Those who passed by wagged their heads. Yeah, you just destroy the temple and you'll build it up. Save yourself if you're the son of God. If he's the king of Israel, come down. Can you see the mocking and belittling of Jesus? A number of things happened with him on the cross. He was stripped naked and exposed to public ridicule three times. The soldiers stripped him naked and put a garment on him. Then they stripped him naked, put his own clothes, and they took him to the cross, stripped him naked. He was hung in front of men, women, and children to die a shameful death on the cross, gasping to breathe in terrible, terrible torment, carrying our shame. No matter what shame you've experienced, Jesus carried that shame. Have you been abused? He was violently abused, physically abused. He was verbally abused. He was mocked and ridiculed, and he took our shame on himself. He experienced shame so you could be set free of shame. He, he took sin on himself so we could be free of sin. He took our sicknesses on himself so we could be healed. He took the penalty of the curse on himself so the curse could be broken, all that we could come into blessing. God's plan is that he designed us to be unashamed. When, man, when sin entered and man became ashamed and covered with shame, Jesus made a way that the shame can be taken away. You should not live with it. You must not live with it. You can never fulfill your destiny living with shame. Jesus has made provision. We can throw off that shame. Someone put it on us. 
we accepted it and began to wear that beggarly garment, we can put it off. But to put it off, I must come and bring the shame to someone who understands, someone who stood on my behalf, someone who conquered the shame. I need to bring it to him and throw it off onto him who carried it by an act of faith. How do I get rid of my sin? I confess it to him and let it go to him and believe he carried it. And supernaturally the grace of God enters and I am clean and know it. It's the same with your shame. It's like an old beggar's garment that you put on and it cloaks you and covers you. But you've got to let it go. Throw it off and release it to the Lord. And do not let it come on again. When we look at next week, we'll be, or the next time around we teach on this, we'll be looking at how you change what you believe. So you begin to believe differently. And every time that shame comes again and tries to cloak you, push against it and put it off. Don't take the shame. You're not to take shame. Shame will cause you to not even know who you are. You'll have a mask on. So the first step in breaking free of shame, there is someone who God sent into this earth to help me be free. I need to come to him. He's not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. Isn't that amazing? He's not ashamed of us. Sometimes we're ashamed to come to him. You know what happens when we know something's wrong in our life? We do just what Adam and Eve did. We cover up and hide from God. Run away. Instead of just coming to him, no matter what it's like, no matter how bad it is, no matter what you're ashamed of, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, he is not ashamed of you. He loves you. He came to get rid of the shame. You've just got to come to him. Make a decision. I'll come to the one who bore my shame. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy and who are burdened and heavy laden. Shame is a heavy burden on people's life. We become secretive, covered, alone. Terrible burden. He said, come to me. Come to me. My yoke's easy. My burden's light. Yeah, very, very good. Okay, let's have a look. The second thing we need to do is to break the attachments to shame. In other words, even though I've come to the Lord, there are some things I need to recognize that cause shame. There are mechanisms called shame to cling on to me. And many would have just come to Jesus and told him they loved him and given their life to him, but still the shame seems to cling. And there can be some reasons for this. In, he, in Amos 3 verse 3, uh, the Bible says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? So if I want to walk with God, I must be agreed with Him. I must come into agreement with what He says about me. Right? I must agree. If I want to walk with God, I can't walk with someone and I think totally different to them. How can, you don't... I mean, if you don't have people, that, normally the people we have friends with or walk with actually have similar interests and similar ways of thinking. But then if we have, God says, you can't walk with me unless you come into agreement with how I see things. He says, you see it from my point of view. We're in agreement. You're now able to represent me in the earth. But if you've got your own ideas and your own ways of thinking and you've got your own things about me, he said, you can't walk with me. So to walk with God, I must actually come into agree with him. That word agree is the word yada. It means to be intimate with someone with a view of reproducing life. So if I want to walk with God, I must come into being intimate agreement with him with a view that his life will start to flow in me and flow out from me. It's intimacy. I must come into agreement in my heart with him. I must actually yield to him. So intimacy in a marriage, then there's a yielding to one another. There's a, a, an engaging one another. You, you can't be
be intimate in marriage if you had a great row. It's just impossible. You actually have to come to yield to one another. And so he uses this process of walking together as us, us yielding to the Lord, yielding to what he says. So, for example, let's just give you an idea. So I have found many times if I've looked into a person's eyes and I've talked to them about how valuable they are and what great qualities they have in their life, often they begin to react. And what they're reacting to is they can't agree with me over what I've said about them. Now, God has many things to say about you. But if you won't agree with him, you will react to what he says. Instead, you'll attach to what you've been used to thinking about yourself. That's why our belief systems must shift. So there are reasons why we may like that. Let me just give, give some of them so I'll show you how to actually break the agreements. Number one, I need to remove the mask. I need to remove the mask and become honest. The first step out of shame is you've got to remove the mask. You've got to remove the mask. And there are lots of masks that people, people wear. Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 7, the moment they, got, they, they become aware of their shame, they cover themselves on, they put some fig leaves off. I wonder what fig leaves you've got on. Then when God came, they just ran away and hid. See, so the hiding. Now, there's many ways we've got a hiding, but let me just ask you a few questions just for you to think about what experiences of shame have you had in your life? What did you feel when you had those experiences? What did you feel? What message did it say to you? The message of shame is that I'm damaged, something's wrong, I'm different, and I'm in danger, I'm going to get hurt, someone's going to expose me. See? Now, and more important, what did you cover yourself with to try and cope with it? And I started to think of a few things uh, as I was thinking about this this morning. Some people have a mask on. I, I didn't have one at home where I had just worn it. And you wouldn't have been able to relate to me with a mask on. You'd hear my voice, that sounds familiar, but you wouldn't connect with me if I was wearing a mask. Because what you're seeing and what you know are completely different. See, and people, so you can go down into these shops and you get a mask. Have you ever got a mask on? How scared kids get when you wear a mask, even adults. You get a big ugly mask and put it on, you come near someone, they, they freak out. They know it's you, but they still freak out because they see the face. So the face that you present is actually the way people identify you. Okay? And so what face are you presenting? Well, of course, people put on all kinds of ways to cope with shame. I, I've just listed a few. You might recognize one or two. Uh, it won't be you, of course, but there's someone probably sitting in this church. There's the, the witch face. And when they put on the witch mask, then very sharp, very critical. Probably you know a few old witches. You know, very sharp, very critical. Then there's the Arnold Schwarzenegger mask. Tough and independent and nobody messes with me. Some people wear that everywhere you go, but there's a frightened little person inside there. Some people wear the clown mask, the joker. So the moment you try to relate to them, they're joking. You can't get past the jokes. He thinks he jokes too much. I can't get to know who he is. Huh? I've been there. Okay, then there's other kind of masks. The Lone Ranger mask. The Lone Ranger, if anyone's seen the Lone Ranger, the Lone Ranger comes and rescues people. And some people are the Lone Ranger. No one really ever knows them. They're a Lone Ranger. But they have a mission. I will rescue people. Someone's in need. Count on me. I'll help them out. They're in there to rescue and they've got all these people they've rescued, and they're so grateful to the Lone Ranger who's feeling much better about themselves 
because I am the Lone Ranger and I rescue people. It's who I am. Of course, the Lone Ranger often has a nervous breakdown. It's unfortunate that, but because you can't know who they are, you never do see them when they're having their nervous breakdown. It's usually when they're alone and they took the mask off. Right? There's all kinds of things. Then there's another one I was thinking of as the princess mask. Oh, somewhere the princess mask. That's a lovely one. Everything has to be just right for me. Everything has to be perfect. Just perfect for me. So they control all their environment, trying to make it all just sweet, just perfect, just nice. It's very, very nice. Then there's another one I thought of called the genie mask. You know the genie in the bottle? The genie comes out, master, how can I do, what can I do for you? So the genie mask, the person who's the genie, now their mission in life is I just serve everyone. I have no life of my own, I just serve. A lot of mothers put on the genie mask. Have no life of their own. Lost who they were years ago. Master, what can I do? So they're serving. And they look so wonderful. They are wonderful people to have around. You know why they're wonderful to have around? Because they just help you. But in the midst of their helping, they're trying to find their identity. You know what happens? They become very hurt, very resentful people. You know why? Because in all their serving, there was an agenda. I want to feel better about myself. I need you to say some nice words to me, and you never said them. Well, we know about those ones. Whoa, a few of them. Of course, it's, it's further down the road. Then I was thinking about some other. I was just trying to think of a different kind of mass. Well, the fairy godmother. <laughs> Comes to Cinderella. Fairy godmothers have no needs of their own. They just know what to do. And they tell everyone else what to do. Take over control of their life and make it happen for them. All, I'm sure you can think of many other masks. I was thinking of the, the kiwi and what a... A timid, shy bird that is. And some people wear a kiwi mask. They just run away and hide. You can't see who they really are. You never really see them. You never really know them. If you want to think about some of these ones, you think somebody, some people like a beaver. They're just buried in their work. Work, 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 work. Work, 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 work. Who is that person? I don't know. Work, 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 work. They have breakdowns too. In fact, most of these people have breakdowns. You know why they have breakdowns? Because there's a big gap between who I am on the outside and who I am on the inside. And there comes a point in your life when you begin to ask, I wonder who I am. And then you hate that there's such a gap. And it's very stressful. So take off the mask. Be who you are. I don't know who I am. I just don't even know. See, that's the problem. When you try and take off the mask, at least you can identify the mask and take it off. The bigger issue is discovering who you are. We'll deal with that again when we look at changing how you believe and what you believe about yourself. You've got to stop wearing a mask and stop trying to be someone. Oh, you're a Christian. You ought to be this. Oh, a Christian mask. Come on. Burdened and having a breakdown inside. It's really, they're, we're hurting, but they've got to be this lovely Christian. That's not real. Christ, the world wants you to put on your Christian mask. That's what they expect. But when you actually become authentic, they don't know how to handle it. <laughs> but you're supposed to be a Christian. You're not supposed to have problems. Welcome to my world. <laughs> Same as yours. You know, come on, that's how it is. You've got to get that mask off. So how many could think of someone else 
today is I gave a list of a few masks. I'm sure you could come back next week and bring up a few masks of your own. You probably have a whole... Start to think about them and you'll start to recognize them. Little beaver masks and the genie masks and the Lone Ranger masks and all the kind of masks. You know what happens with quite a few of them? They end up, they end up helping people. They're lovely helping people. Doctors, nurses, teachers, pastors. <laughs> Pasta mask. <laughs> this is what life is like. I've been around, I've seen them everywhere. One of the problems when you move in the prophetic and deliverance, you tend to peel off the masks. <laughs> then you'll see that same person that had, I remember being in one church there, and uh, I started praying for two people. One was a man, one was a woman. And uh, they went down on the floor, rolled around, growled like dogs. And the, uh, and the woman pastor was very shocked. She said, those demons. I said, yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she said, but they can't be. That's my chief deacon. And that's my head intercessor. And they go, ah, 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 like this. They worn the mask too long. The demons got in and filled it all up and behind. So, so anyway, they, nothing like the prophetic and deliverance. So the Bible's very clear in Proverbs 28, verse 13. It says, if you, cover, if you cover what's going on in your life, you can't go forward or prosper. You just actually have to confess and forsake. You've got to get rid of the masks. You know, in Isaiah, I think, 30, it says, woe to those who cover up with a covering that's not of me. God has got a provision for you. But to get it, you've got to take off the one you've put on. When Adam and Eve took, put a covering on themselves, to get God's provision, they had to take off their one. So first step is take off your covering. Take off the mask. Oh, oh, oh. oh, that Lone Ranger mask is a very good mask. Okay, anyway, so the second thing is we need to break our agreements with evil spirits. We need to break our agreements with evil spirits. Oh, dear. What do you mean agreements with evil spirits? Well, some people have sitting down and written out a deal with a demon. Actually, with more than one demon. So I don't recall doing that. Well, it looks like you have the way you live your life. You must have. How did I do that? Well, the Bible, fortunately, actually explains how we do it. Look in Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28. Let's see if I can find it here. Is it marked? Yes, here it is. Look at this. We have made a covenant. Verse 15, we've made a covenant with death. That's a pretty strong agreement. We're married to the spirit of death. And with hell, we're in agreement. That tormenting demon, yes, we've come into agreement. Verse, the latter part, four, this is, tells how we did it. We made lies our refuge, and under falsehood, we've hidden ourselves. My goodness me. That's how you get into agreements with demons. You cover yourself with lying. You cover yourself with a mask. Cover yourself with pretenses. And when we do that, we're literally giving agreement to a demon to come into our life and to trouble us. And the devil's very keen to do that. So it may well be that when a spirit comes to you and whispers in your ear, you're no good, you're nothing, no one wants you, and you agree with that, you've given it power over your life. So part of getting out of shame, I have to break agreements with any accusing spirits, any spirits that shame me, any spirits that put words or voices or thoughts into my mind concerning shame. I have to break the agreement with them. I have to refuse to accept their lies anymore. I have to refuse to accept them. Sometimes we need to make a stand against them and repent them. Jesus has given us total acceptance. So any demon that says, well, nobody loves you, actually usually the way they say it is like this. 
The demon stands alongside you, and oh, he's actually probably in your way that state. He just says something like this. Nobody loves me. And you pick it up. Oh, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Ah, nobody cares about me. I'm all alone. Yeah, I'm all alone. You begin to listen. Some people are having this dialogue with demons, listening to thoughts that, that come out of hell. You've got to break those agreements. You've got to not agree with any of those sorts. You've got to agree with what God says. I love you. I care for you. You are mine. You are special to me. Cast your cares on me because I care about you. Oh, there's heaps of scriptures. You've got to get the scriptures into your heart and shift what you do. So break the agreements of demons. And the last part here, well, let go of the grief and the reactions to being shamed. Let go of the grief. We've got to abandon the, gr- the reactions and the grief of being shamed. When we get shamed, we're hurt. I shared with you some experiences I'd had that were incredibly shaming. And as a result of that, there's tremendous pain inside, great pain. Now, you, what are you going to do with it? Just pretend it isn't there? I know what I'll do. Stuff, stuff. Put on the Christian mask. Praise the Lord. Now, this doesn't buy it because you've still got it inside you. You've actually got to be honest with your feelings. Sometimes that can take a little while. How do you really feel about that matter? How did it really affect you? One of the ways you can deal with this area is you can begin to write out and remember what you did. In other ways, as you worship the Lord, you begin to allow your mind to go back and remember what happened. Remember what it felt like. Remember what it felt like inside. And as you do it, the Holy Spirit just brings the stuff up and then you feel a lot of pain. Now, most people, when they feel the pain, just want to get out of the pain and so they push it down again. If you're male, you may have quite a strong problem with this area. The moment you start to think about anything that caused you pain, immediately block it off and minimize it so it's nothing. Don't worry about that. You know? And so what happens is we don't engage what's really in our heart. So as we worship with the Lord, <clears throat> David was absolutely abandoned. He shared his distresses and troubles with the Lord, and the Lord set him free. He can set you free too. But so the first part is I need to allow the feelings of, to surface and just release them to Jesus, the grief carrier. It says in <clears throat> Psalm 84, Blessed is the man whose strength is found in the Lord. He turns to the Lord with an open heart, he t- and he said he, he makes the, the, the valley of tears into a well that others can be blessed in. So there is a part of your pain and your shame that if you can bring it to the Lord and weep over it, you let the feelings go. I remember praying over people that have been abused, and they just wept and wept and wept with the grief of being so shamed and embarrassed. Some cultures, the shame is so deep that when it starts to surface, they just weep and weep and weep. Second thing we need to do is forgive. We've just got to let go from the heart. Now, forgiveness is more than just a prayer from the, just, well, I forgive. No, it's actually, it, I let, there's, there's, there's the heart feelings as well as the will. And so in forgiving someone, I need to actually remember how it's affected me and allow myself to feel the reactions, then make the choice to forgive. Some people forgive, it's just from the head. Jesus said in, in, uh, in Matthew 18, 34, 35, forgive from the heart. I've got to let it go, let it go, let it go. Unforgiveness locks you to the past. Grief locks you to the past. These things keep you there. To move out of shame, I've got to let them go. I've got to just be willing to let it go, grieve over it, move on. And we don't like doing that because it's a bit messy. You feel a mess, you feel you're falling apart, but it doesn't last. You just grieve, you release forgiveness, just have to bless the people. Thank God he can use it to make something great in your life, and then you come free of it. 
And it's a process as well as a decision. It can take a little time to do it, or it can just take place in a very quick time. Have you let go of the people who shamed you? Have you really let them go? Have you really let them go? Have you let them go? You don't need to stay back there. You need to move on. This is the time to move on. Time to let go. People shamed us. Let it go. 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 Because it stops you fulfilling what Jesus called you to fulfill. And finally, we need to deal with the hidden reactions in the heart where I've reacted about being shamed. <clears throat> By reaction, reactions are the way you respond when someone's really hurt you deeply. And there's many ways we can respond. Some people respond by making an inner vow. I'll never, oh, I'll never let anyone get near me. I'll never let any woman, I'll never let any man. And so inner vows are vows you speak into yourself that harden your heart so you can't be shamed anymore. Keep, they put a wall up that keep you distant. And so there you are, you look tough, you got it all together, and inside there's just a broken little person fighting to try and hold a wall up. That's what people do. People do it everywhere. They're at your workplace, they're all around you. The church is a place where we can find healing and restoration. We don't have to stay in those places. So we may have made inner vows, may have made judgments, and may have just wanted to die. Elijah wanted to die. And, uh, when he felt the street, he felt ashamed of the whole thing. He'd run his course, and there it was. He still didn't made a change in the nation, and, and so he just wanted to die. There's many reactions. We make. Whatever reaction you've made, just repent of it and bring it to the cross. We need to do that so we can move on. So here's where we get out of shame. Four steps out of it. We're giving you two today. The first, I need to personally come to Christ who carried my shame. He understands my shame. He's carried it. I can come and talk about it to him and bring it to him. Secondly, I need to separate or break the attachments to people or things that cause me shame. I just need to get the mask off and be honest with him, face the emotions that are there and grieve over them, release them to the Lord. I need to get rid of the reactions that are inside me and make a decision. I'm going to stand up now and begin to change the way I view myself, the way I view God, and the way I live my life. It's an important decision for us to make. I think there are many people here sitting on stuff. Why don't we just close our eyes and bow our heads right now. This is a time for you to make a step. Some powerful things can happen in an altar call. An altar call is where you make a decision that you've come into agreement with God. You've heard His Word and you are agreeing with God. Change is a must. You're saying to yourself, I'm not going to hold on to the stuff. Maybe you're ashamed of failure. Maybe a family broke down. Maybe a parent died. Maybe someone abused you verbally. Someone abused you sexually. Maybe you're humiliated in school, humiliated by teachers. Remember, I was, uh, I was chosen here at a local high school. Grew up here. and I was chosen to speak and represent the school at a speech contest. And... Uh, so I had the speech all, all ready and all prepared, all memorized. I remember going into the, uh, the it was over in Napier, and they had the, all the inter-schools. Everyone was there. Parents were there. Everyone was there, and I got a good number. I was up number three. I thought, that's quite good, not number one, number three. So got up there, all prepared to really do my best. And when I stood up there, I got started into the speech, and I was starting to get going on it, and then suddenly it began to rain. And it didn't just rain. It really pounded down on an iron roof. And there was just this loud noise, and it distracted my attention. And I froze and forgot everything. And I can remember to this day the pain and the shame of standing in front of everyone, representing our own school, and I got a mind blank. 
And I got prompted and I got through it, but the feeling of that time didn't leave me. And years later when I became a pastor, I would have to have everything written out. I was still living in the shame of such a defeat publicly. And for a long time, I had everything written out. Could never take a meeting or enter any meeting. I didn't have everything written out. I was gripped by the fear this would happen to me again. It was just a teenage experience of shame that brought fear and then attempts to control and protect myself. And I had to make a decision at one point to face that, to let it go, and to begin to trust God. And so the Lord put me with children so I could get experience and success without that fear around me. And then I was able to come and stand on the platform and preach. I can do it now without any notes, without any reference to notes. I have only the bare of notes most of the time. I don't need them because I've tapped into the one who loves me and said, I'll be with you. I'll give you things to say. 